Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and anointment from, for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Church, would you pray with me? Father God, thank you, Jesus. God, that you are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, I pray that, God, tonight or this morning, God, that our hearts would be uh, just focused in on you, God, and, and what you have to say. God, I pray that if you have a, a special message for somebody in here, God, that you would reveal it to them today, Lord. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. God, we're thankful that, God, you came and, and you died for us. God, we love you and we praise you, and it's in your holy name we pray, Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Well, welcome to EVC this morning. How are you doing? All right. It is great to have you with us. We want to welcome our online group today as well. We've been a little bit lighter today as people uh, head out for Thanksgiving or maybe uh, not not feeling really uh, well today, so we want to welcome our online audience today as well. And uh, I just want to bring a message to you today of happy Thanksgiving. Amen? All right. As we go into this holiday, my name is Randy Miller, and I am the executive pastor here at EVC. And it's my joy to be able to bring this particular uh, message series that we've been involved in called Letters and um, a, a modern understanding of, of an ancient message today. We're going to we want to close this out with this message to the church at Laodicea. But I want to wish your family a happy Thanksgiving. This is one of our, it really is our favorite holiday as a family. There's no pressure of gifts and all the other stuff that surround it. It is just a great opportunity to come together with family, with friends, and to enjoy one another. So I hope your family 
has a very happy Thanksgiving this week as well. But as we look at Laodicea, today is a difficult message. As you hear it, there is no commendation for the church at Laodicea. And modern scholars, most scholars hold, or many do, that this is a message for the modern day church. It's a message for us. Some classify these as different periods of time, and these churches represent different periods of time. I don't necessarily hold to that understanding, but I do believe that this final message to the church at Laodicea absolutely is a message for us to take heed to today. Have you ever had to deliver a difficult message to someone? Something that you knew they were not going to appreciate. I can remember the fact of of actually delivering messages to people uh, when I when I discover that someone has died in their family. I've often been the person that's had to tell them that very difficult news. When the phone would ring in our house, my daughters, as they were growing up, knew that uh, what my death voice was. They could hear the tone in my voice that when the call or the caller was telling me some of those difficult things, they, they could hear the change in my voice and they knew from across the house um, what the message was and what was going to be happening, where I was going to be the next few days of their life. So today is a difficult message and my role today is messenger. It's not always a fun role. Matter of fact, I've often wondered if my whole life and my role is to be a messenger of sometimes good news and sometimes difficult news. As the role of executive pastor, you might be thinking, what in the world does that guy do? Well, I am kind of the go-between. I'm the go-between between our staff and our elder team. I'm the go-between sometimes between uh, people and Uh, our lead pastor Bart, or sometimes I take his thoughts and ideas and try to take them back to the team to say, this is how we're going to accomplish this vision. I'm a go-between, oftentimes between God and a congregation whom I love. I I practice this a lot. It's, I'm a go-between. I send, I give messages to people, and sometimes those messages are great. Sometimes those messages are often hard to hear. They mean there's going to be sacrifice involved for people. And so I, I've noticed that so many of you, if, with caller ID, you, you don't answer my phone calls anymore. I, I, I've noticed that because when I'm calling, I'm probably asking you to do something or asking you to give something or asking you to. So, so people quit answering my phone calls. I just want to say hello and I love you, okay? That's what I'm saying. The next time I show up in your caller ID, that's what it's going to be. Hello and I love you. But being this messenger sometimes is difficult. And to this church at Laodicea, what we are understanding is it says that the the angel is giving this message. Well, it's not necessarily, or it's certainly not a winged creature bringing this. No, you see, John was writing this on the Isle of Patmos, and he was writing these messages from Jesus to these churches, and then he would give this message to someone who would take this message to the church and read it. And this particular individual has this last message, and I wonder if this messenger, that's what the word angelos actually means, does this messenger, has he read the message that he's getting ready to deliver to the church at Laodicea? Because if he did, he's trembling, 
He thinks perhaps they're going to throw stones at me when I deliver this very difficult message. But the word angel here really just means messenger, the person who's carrying this message to the church. And if you haven't figured it out, that means this, that today, Eagles View Church, I am your angel. All right? That's, now you guys can't get that image out of your mind now. Big wings. Okay, all right. Anyway, I'm that messenger to give this message that is sometimes difficult, but it's a message to us all. It's a message to every single one of us as believers. But it is a difficult message. But to understand this passage, we really need to understand this city that is mentioned called Laodicea. It's absolutely necessary that we understand its location and the significance that John writes about this in the book of Revelation. Here's a map that shows you where Laodicea was. It's in Asia Minor. It is very close to a place called Colossae. Now, Colossae is very significant because there's a New Testament book written by Paul to the church at Colossae. It's called Colossians. And so it's written to this area really nearby, just 10 miles away from Laodicea. It's also just eight miles away from a place called Heropolis that had warm water springs, which is going to be very important to the story today. It's 100 miles from Ephesus. Ephesus is on the coast. And so from where you're at to your right is, or to your left on the screen, Laodicea goes towards the coast. So it's in Asia Minor. And all of these churches were basically in Asia Minor, each one that has been written to by John in the book of Revelation. The Spirit saying this message to the church. But if we're going to understand the the city, what we need to understand is why it's there and why is it called Laodicea. Well, it's called Laodicea after the wife of Antiochus II. And he named this city after his wife. Her name was Laodice. Laodice. And he named this city after her. Why do we know this? Well, we know that it happened around 240 B.C., We know that because that's when Antiochus II divorced his wife, Laodice, and you never name a town that's successful after your ex-wife, okay? I don't know if you know that or not, but you probably wouldn't do that. So we know that Laodicea was likely begun around 240 B.C. So as it's developing, what we know about this is it's on the Lycus River. And it's in the Lycus River Valley, just like Laodicea. And just like Colossae and Heropolis, these three cities are all in the Lycus Valley. And it was a beautiful place. Snow-covered mountains that would provide great spring melt water, cool, refreshing water, which will be very important to the story, that would provide that in the Lycus Valley. But here's a significant problem that they had. Their water source was impure. Because in Colossae, this water source, the spring melt would happen. And there was a river that also ran through the the Lycus Valley, the Lycus River. But it would dry up in the summertime. It would evaporate, as so many of our rivers and streams do here in North Texas. We get this. It It evaporates in the summer. So the time in which you need a cool, refreshing drink, there is none to be had because the river, their water source, would evaporate. So what they had to do was create an aqueduct that was a great, great invention of the Greek and Roman world where they would pipe in water from a location that had a better water source than they had, and they would pipe it into their city. But because it would go through limestone, it created what's called calcium carbonate. I really understand this because I have a well at my house, 
and I have the same problem. It goes through limestone and it creates a problem with your pipes that it corrodes them. These are the actual pipes of this aqueduct in Laodicea. And you can see that stone would build up inside the pipes because it was bringing this impure water that had gone through calcium from a different water source. But here's the problem. As it arrived, it had to go through this aqueduct so far to reach Laodicea. By the time it reached them, it was a horrible tasting, lukewarm water, which is also going to be very important to this story. We have to understand where this book is written, or where this letter is written to this church in order to understand what the letter actually means. Here's what we also know about Laodicea. It's one of the wealthiest cities in all the world at its time, when the time when this is written. The reason it's one of the wealthiest cities is because it is on a north-south trade route. Now, many of these cities were actually written to and churches developed there because many of them were on the Roman road. It was an opportunity for there to be transport of all kinds of goods along this Roman road. And it was the crossroads of a north-south, but not only north-south, it also had an east-west crossroads in Laodicea, which caused all the commerce of all the world to come through Laodicea. And they were a very, very wealthy city. But there was a significant problem. They were in a valley. They were not defendable. It's very difficult to defend something that's in a valley because everyone else has higher ground than you. And it also was a problem because they had one single aqueduct water source that all you had to do to defeat them is to cut off their water source and to attack them from higher ground. So what do you do if you're a city that has lots of money and that you're, an indef- you're at an indefendable position? Here's what you do. You bribe everyone you know. You bribe them so that they won't attack you. You bribe them and you do whatever they want you to do. You capitulate to whatever it is that they are making of you, what desire they are making of you or request they are making of you. You always compromise because you're at an indefensible position. And this was Laodicea. They were a church and a city known for compromise. You want this? Take it. No problem. You need this? Oh, we'll pay for that. How about we do this? We want to do anything to make you the advancing army or advancing city-state. We want you to make, we want to make you our friend. And so they compromise. And that's the church of Laodicea. And did I remind you that it's likely a message to our church today, to the modern church, Laodicea, this message is a message for us. When we look at the world, when we look at all the things in the world, when we look at the, what the culture says, do we capitulate to whatever the culture says? Or do we stand firm with what we know that God has said to be of our character? Do we compromise in situations? Do you live one way with one group of friends when you're with them through the week, but when you get to your life group or when you come here on Sunday, you're living a totally different way and you have this bifurcated soul and spirit that's taken place within you. You are divided. You are a dichotomy. You're living one way with one group and another way with another group and you are a chameleon to blend in wherever you might be at that particular time. This was the church at Laodicea, and we need to understand that if we're going to understand them. They were known for three major things. Please make note of this, because it's going to be very important as we get into this message for the church at Laodicea. 
They were known, first of all, as a banking and commerce city. They were wealthy. We've already talked about that. But they also worshipped a god called Asclepius. Asclepius. Now, Asclepius was the god of the, the Greek god of health and healing. And attached to the temple of Asclepius was a medical school. And this medical school created something in this region that was made from the pounded stone that was in this region. They would grind it into a powder, mix it with water, and apply it to the eyes. Because it was an eye salve that helped weakening eyes. I know this all too well. At the age of 44 years, 10 years ago, my eyes went from 20-20 vision to not 20 vision, literally overnight. Can I get an amen? You understand what I'm saying, right? It's like overnight, I was seeing things. I was, the, I was the designated person in my family to get splinters out of toes, fingers, feet, whatever, because I could see it so well and would take the needle and make sure that I didn't get too much skin but would get the splinter out. I was that designated person. And then I got a splinter in my own finger about the age of 44 and I went in. I nearly killed myself, okay? Because I couldn't see the splinter. And I, I'm like, this needle is sharp. Did you, are you aware of that? That these, these needles are actually sharp. But this was what Asclepius actually did. He was the god of health and healing. And there was this eye salve that was present in Laodicea. So they were a banking center and they were a place of medicine, especially for the eyes. The third thing they were known for was a black wool. In their area, they had black sheep that gave a specific shiny black wool. And they made garments for everyone and shipped them out on these trade routes. And they would also make carpets and draperies out of this fine black silky wool. And this is what they were known for. Their wool, their eye salve, and their banking center and their wealth. So we need to understand this about Laodicea. Because the message is going to appeal to this church. Folks, this is the reason why in investigating and understanding Scripture, as you read through this, if you don't do the background study of something, you're not going to ever know why is it written. Why are these specific things written to this specific church? And these are the reasons why. But the first thing we have to understand is who this message is from. What this whole letter helps us to understand is that they, the importance of the person of Jesus to them. You see, the message is coming by messenger, but the person who's giving the message in a revelation to, to John, and he's writing it down, is Jesus Christ. We need to understand that this message is coming from Jesus, but it describes Jesus specifically in each one of these letters to the churches because the, the description of Jesus is very important to that particular church. And how is Jesus described to us today in the modern church? How is Jesus described? He is described as this. He says in verse 14, Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one, Jesus, who is the amen, who is the faithful and true witness, and who is the beginning of God's new creation. Each one of these three had very significant impact upon this message receiving or coming to this particular city. First of all, he's known as the amen. Amen? All right, why do we ask you to say that? Why do we kind of imply, please, would you, would you respond this way? Amen means I agree. Yes, preach it, 
you angel. Okay, that's what, that's what it means to me. When you say amen, it just means preach it, you angel, to me. Okay, that's just, that's just how I see it, all right? Now you're never saying amen again, are you? Thank you, Bill Raines. But Jesus is this. He's the certain guarantee of all God's promises. That's really what amen means. Jesus Christ is the guarantee that what God has promised to you is actually going to come. He's like the, he's like the seal on the wax that goes over the letter that says this is from the person of power and authority. That seal is Jesus Christ. He is the guarantee that everything that God has promised you is going to come true. So much so in the book of Ephesians, he says, the language that Paul uses says that he is the, the earnest money on God's presence in your life if you've received him as Lord and Savior. Here's what that means. It's such specific, logical, lawyer language. What it means is this. If God were to renege on his part of the deal, what do you do with earnest money if you go back on the deal? You forfeit it away. What Paul says in, in the book of Ephesians in this idea of this, Jesus is the guarantee His presence in your life, that if God were to go against what he would say, he would forfeit his son, he would forfeit his spirit, and God would cease to be God because he is a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The language of that is he is the guarantee. Listen to what this says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding Yes, amen. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Jesus Christ is the guarantee. Why did he want to say that to the church at Laodicea? He wanted them to know that the presence of Christ in their life was the guarantee of everything that he offers to us. And it's the same for you and I today. He's also known as the faithful and true witness. This seems a little redundant to the guarantor. No, it's something very, very different. He is the faithful and true witness. Here's what this means. Jesus Christ was there. Matter of fact, he was the word God spoke to speak everything into existence. I'll go there in a second. Jesus was present at the beginning of the world. He's not a created being. He is God. And he was present at the beginning of the world. And he is the faithful and true witness to everything that he sees. And you know what he sees? He sees us. He sees our activity. He sees our good deeds. He sees our sin. Jesus is the faithful and true witness to always give a true message of what he sees. John 1, 1 through 5 says this. In the beginning, the word already existed. That's Jesus. The word is Logos, and John is describing his Savior, Jesus. The word, Jesus, was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him. Remember what Genesis 1 says? How did God put everything into existence? He spoke. And what word did he use? Jesus. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness 
can never extinguish it. Amen? That's Jesus, the faithful and true witness. John 14, verse 6 says, I am the way and I am the truth. He is the true witness and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. He witnesses everything that we do and see. This morning, I awoke (laughs) to this in my head. And I went, okay, Lord. A song I learned 50 years ago. I was four years old. I was in Sunday school. Many of you will know this song as well. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Jesus is the faithful and true witness to everything that we look upon. And he looks at us, not in judgment, but in love. To always draw us back to him. Those things that we are seeing, those things we are doing, those things we are saying. That bring dishonor to him. He is calling us back out of our own sin to a relationship with us. He's the faithful and true witness. He's also, as this letter says, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Remember what it said. Everything was created by him and through him. But here's why this is so important to this letter at Laodicea. See, there was a problem in the church at Colossae. Matter of fact, Paul deals with it in the book that he writes to the church at Colossae. And Laodicea is just 10 miles away. And the same problem that was at Colossae has now developed in Laodicea as well. And this problem has to be addressed. It was what was called Gnosticism. And it was, writ- it was plaguing the New Testament church because it was, had an element of the truth and a huge element of falsehood. And as it brought the two together, it was leading a lot of people astray. And many books in the New Testament deal with this issue of Gnosticism. 1 John, Colossians, for sure, those two books deal with this issue of Gnosticism. But what was it? Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which simply means to know. And what it basically would put out was that if you had a relationship with Jesus and believed that he was sent from God, not the Son of God, but that he was sent from God, you will get a special knowledge that will allow you to really open up and see this beautiful message that God has just for you. Remember the the movie National Treasure? I know I'm aging myself. Some of you go, no, I've never seen that movie. Why would I watch something with Nicolas Cage? He's like the worst actor ever. Okay, all right, anyway. Sorry, sorry. That's... That was just an opinion, okay? Just an opinion. (laughs) National Treasure, though, was a great movie. Remember, it had the Declaration of Independence. And on the back of the Declaration of Independence was a secret message that you had to use these special glasses to see the secret message. That's exactly what Gnosticism says. It says, if you believe in who Jesus, that he's a real person, he's your special glasses to open up this message that God has for you, this special knowledge, Gnosticism. But here's what they denied. They denied that Jesus was God. They saw him only as a created being. And later, Gnosticism would develop that if you, if you have a relationship with Buddha, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have a relationship with this deity, it doesn't really matter. They're all 
aeons into knowledge of Gnosticism. It was plaguing the church. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and it was circulated to Laodicea. He says it in the book of Colossians. Make sure the church at Laodicea reads this. Why? Because they're struggling with the same stuff. Here's what he says. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. See, when you know that's who it's written to, what is being written makes so much more sense. Christ is the invisible or is the image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. That's a direct knock against Gnosticism. He's saying, look, he is not just a created being. He is supreme over everything that is created. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and he made the things we can't see, such as thrones, Kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all things together. He is the beginning of the creation of God. This was a message specifically to the church at Laodicea and to us. If we bear to think or shudder to think that Jesus was just a created being, No, he's God. And that had to be known to this church at Laodicea. So he's the amen. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the beginning of all creation of God. This is the one who's giving you this message. So you better listen. It's a true message. What does he say? This is where we get to our next point. It's our need for an honest evaluation. I love, uh, no, I shouldn't say I love because I don't. I appreciate the mall map, okay? I don't love going to the mall. Matter of fact, I know malls are dying today, but bear with me. There are two places of information on the mall map that's incredibly important. Where I'm at and where I'm going. The honest evaluation of the church at Laodicea to each one of us today is figure out where you're at because it's very important to know where you're going. It's time for an honest evaluation. What's the evaluation statement? Revelation 3, 15 and 16. I know all the things that you do. I'm the faithful and true witness, Jesus says. That you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, don't allow that image to just flow by in the scripture and not understand what it says. You know what this is like. You wake up suddenly in the middle of the night and your mouth is starting to fill with lukewarm water. And you know I have a few seconds to grab something or get to the restroom because I'm going to throw everything up. That's what lukewarm water is the warning to. And that's what Jesus is saying. I see your deeds. And because you're neither hot nor cold, I want to... I want to vomit you out of my mouth, is what Jesus says. That's a difficult message. But understand what he's saying. Listen, Laodicea, you understand what this is. Because Colossae is just 10 miles away. And I can go to Colossae today and get a cool drink of purified water. It's so refreshing when I am thirsty. Here are those streams in Colossae. He says, I wish I could go and take a drink from you and be refreshed. Or I wish that 
you would be more like Heropolis, which is just eight miles away. And it's these incredible hot water pools that are therapeutic to the body. Does that not look like a place? Now, Heropolis is on your vacation list, all right? Because you sit in those warm spring water, hot water pools. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, EVC, you're in a community that desperately needs, oftentimes, a cold drink of water. They need someone to meet their need. That's the reason we're doing EMS ISD Christmas. We have more children this year than we've ever had before. Why? Because of the economy, because of the struggles that people are facing. Now they're coming out of of COVID. Now we're into this recession, and it's hitting families like it's never hit before in, in our lifetimes. And more families are in need. EVC, when we step up and when we meet the need of a child and a family, we're offering a cold drink of water. It's why we do our service of remembrance for those who are struggling between Thanksgiving and Christmas with the fact that there's an empty seat at their table like there is at my table. And when I think about that, and when I think about the cold, refreshing water that we try to, to do as a, as a church, as a community, what, what Jesus is saying is there are people who need a cold drink of water. And when they pick you up, it's lukewarm. It's not good for refreshment, and it's not good for therapy. I wish you were hot like Heropolis where people are hurting mentally, emotionally, spiritually they need a therapeutic place where they can go and rest and be renewed but when they come to you it's like you don't even know them do we have assigned seats so when someone new comes along we go hey it's my seat is that is that a warm drink or is that a warm healing place? No. See, this message is for us. What this message to Laodicea, Jesus says, I wish you were one or the other because those have reasons to exist. But being lukewarm serves no purpose at all. Imagine going to your yearly review and the message from your boss as she sits across the table in front of you. She says, Here's what I have to say. You're neither useful nor effective. Okay. Should I, could I ask you for a letter of recommendation? No, 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 never mind. I guess not. I guess not. That's what Jesus says to every one of these other churches. Until he gets to Laodicea, he has something useful that they're doing. And when he goes to, here's what you're doing well. Crickets. Crickets, nothing. But here's what, you're, what you need to improve on. I wish you were either hot or cold. Because our community needs to see. They need a refreshing drink. They need a therapeutic place. And the question's all the time before us. Are we going to be that place? You see, you and I carry with us every day the reputation of Jesus Christ. That's the reason part of our 30-year vision, or our, 20, our 2030 vision is this. We want to redeem the reputation, reputation of the bride of Christ. 
you and I carry with us the reputation of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. And when someone comes in contact with us, do they feel refreshed? Do they feel recuperated? Or are we just like them and have nothing to offer? That's the message to Laodicea. But we now need to see the hope of an illogical exchange. What do I mean by that? Jesus offers the church at Laodicea an opportunity to exchange their weakness for his strength. And that doesn't make sense. And he offers it to you and me today as well. We have an opportunity to exchange what is wrong with us for his righteousness. And it just doesn't make sense. Here's what he says. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How would you like that on your yearly evaluation? These are the five things you are. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. All right? So I advise you to buy, to do what? Buy gold from me. Exchange your poor, your poverty, for my gold. Gold that's been purified by fire. Then you will actually be rich. You say you're rich now, but then you'll actually be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed of your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. Jesus then says, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Here's what we need to understand as the body of Christ. It's this. Self-sufficiency robs the glory from our God who provided everything we have. But how many times do we say to God, you know, glad that's for those people, but I got everything I need. I'm good. I'm good. When Jesus says, you say you're good, you're really wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, each of these things refer right back to the three things that they're known for. What? Banking and commerce, but you're poor. You say you're rich, but you're poor. The black wool, your garments, you think you have garments that are better than everyone else's garments in the world, but you're really naked spiritually. And you have this great eye salve that everybody comes to you for, but really you need to buy ointment from me so that your spiritual blindness is gone. You see, he speaks directly to everything they were known for. And what's he saying? Look, you think you have it all together, but you do not. And the best thing you can do is to realize that you're not self-sufficient. EVC, we are not self-sufficient sufficient. Amen? We are totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. We've seen a lot of growth. God's doing a lot of incredible things, and it could be gone tomorrow if we quit depending upon him. Amen? It's our role, it's our responsibility to know this, to send this message. We just have had a phenomenal capital campaign. You can continue to join in with us to pay off debt. Why do we want to pay off debt as quickly as we can? We want to pay off debt of this building that God has provided us, this tool that God has provided us, so that the reputation of the church can be that we give out more. We desire to be one of the most generous churches of our generations. Why? So the reputation of the bride of Christ is increased 
rather than sullied in our community. Amen? That's what God desires for us. And he uses these three things they're known for to always draw attention. He says, buy gold from me. But what do they have? If they're poor, they can't buy gold. What do they have? They have themselves. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you have nothing that you can offer him except your life. That's all we have to offer is what we have, and that's us. To give our life, to yield our life over to him. Buy from me gold refined by fire. Exchange your nakedness for my garments of righteousness, Jesus says. Exchange your blindness for my spiritual ointment, which will open up your eyes to see the world and to see yourself the way that I see you. Now, many scholars hold that the church at Laodicea is the apostate church, which just simply means there really aren't believers at all. As I talked with Barton, as I was talking with Barton, we were talking this week, and I was like, man, a lot of the commentaries are saying this. He goes, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with it. I said, I don't either. Because he writes this to the church. And how do we know, in my mind, in my heart, why do I know that these are actually believers that have just walked away from God? Well, I know that because he disciplines them. He says, receive my discipline and live. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. As a dad, I don't discipline other people's kids. I don't. Sometimes I want to. Sometimes I want to discipline your kids, okay? But that's just a whole, that's a whole other thing entirely. You know, when you go to a restaurant and kids are acting up and you go, man, I'd like to tell that parent, you know, but I don't do that. And by the way, if you do that, if you'd say, hey, your kids could use a little discipline, please don't tell them you're from Eagles View Church, okay? <laughs> I've got a few other churches I could give you. I want you to tell, you, you they're, tell them they're, you're from there, not here, okay? We don't discipline other people's kids. When God says, I'm going to discipline you, it's to bring you back. There have been times in my life that the greatest thing I've understood is God's disciplining me to bring me back to him. But it proves that I'm his. It proves I'm his. Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 10 and 11. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. But it doesn't feel good. But it's always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God's discipline in your life and in my life. And if you're experiencing it today, know this. God loves you and wants a closer relationship with you. That's the reason why the discipline exists. It's an illogical exchange that God would give us gold, his, his richness, his garments of righteousness, and his spiritual sight over our blindness, poverty, and nakedness. That's the exchange that doesn't make sense. Final thing we see today is very simple. It's an invitation that we would be foolish to ignore or to refuse. The invitation is this, look Laodicea, look EVC, look my beloved child, you've been indifferent away from me and I'm calling you back home. 
And the message is simply this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on the throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. And anyone who hears, who has ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Do you have that Spirit to hear today? This verse is the verse I have used since I was in sixth grade and first memorized how to share my faith with someone else. Behold, I stand at your heart's door and I knock. It's one of the last things I share with someone. Did you know that Jesus, if you had been the only one, would have died for you and he stands at your heart's door and he knocks? It's your decision. Are you going to open the door? Are you going to leave him outside? Are you going to say, I got this? Or are you going to open the door to him? Dear church, listen to what the Spirit says to the church today. We're going to invite you today into that meal. One of the most beautiful things, Dustin sent me pictures this Friday night, was a meal that our middle schoolers did for our seniors, senior adults. It was called Friendsgiving, and I saw the pictures. It was looked like to be such a fun event where they talked and they they played cards. It was a meal bringing two generations together. And we invite you to that meal. We call it communion today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you say to our church that we might follow hot after you and provide cold and therapeutic waters to our community when they need them. Father, may we carry your reputation today and may you be honored and glorified with it. Father, for that person whom you stand at their heart's door today and you knock, may they open it and may they experience fellowship with you, maybe for the first time today. May you be glorified in it all today, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray.